Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Barr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for joining us today. We have a really great episode and not too much else to report. Oh, well, I do have one thing to report that's not podcast related, but uh, my House team at the Magnet, Sweetheart, had our final show as a house team at the Magnet last Thursday. Bittersweet, hopefully, Sweetheart will hopefully do some more shows at the theater, but I did get cast on a new house team at the Magnet, and our first show is tomorrow, and that will be at 7 o'clock. So if you're in the New York City area, come check us out. We are Red Sanja, that's our temporary name, and We will, in the coming weeks, come up with a new name. That's a little personal news, but of course, as always, you can go to thereitispod.com, find out more about what the podcast has going on. We're going to be revamping our YouTube channel with some playlists and uploading more videos, old episodes, and the like, but we're just going to uh, organize it a little bit. So go to youtube.com slash thereitis and be sure to subscribe. Okay, let's get to today's episode. It's a great one. It is with a friend and longtime listener of the podcast, Michael Serpy. You have heard us talk about the show You Are Not Alone on the podcast because girlfriend of the show is a team member on there. And Serpy is the co-host of that show with previous guest Aaron Gold. We talk about You Are Not Alone as well as mental health stuff. Look, we are not experts, but we just get into that right at the jump here. So let's just get right to it. Here's my chat with Michael Serpy. Michael, it's so good to see you. It's been a while. It has. Yeah, I didn't get to see it the last You Are Not Alone show. I was preoccupied. I'm in a kind of ragtime out in Oradell, New Jersey. That's been running for the past four weeks. When we're recording this, we're going into our last sold out weekend. So I had to miss the last Yana show, but it was a lot of fun. And I I put together a good, uh, from what I hear, it was a good show. It was. Yeah, it it was really good. The, all of the monologists were really killing it. And so just to remind people, Aaron Gold, Mm -hmm. friend of the podcast, previous guest, who has talked about what You Are Not Alone is, but we Mm -hmm. will rehash so people have their memory jogged. It's a show that you've been putting on at the Magnet for 10 years. We'll hit our eight-year anniversary in November, oh, on November eight. 13th. Why yeah. do I think it's 10? I always think it's 10. The pandemic, the pandemic has warped our sense of time. And yeah, and, and, and even an and, and eight-year run in an improv, in improv year, improv team years, in 30 years, you know, the way teams come and go and fly by the wayside. And so we're very yeah. grateful and super thankful to the theater for like putting on a show that literally has depression in the name. They could have been like, nah, we good, but they didn't. They uh, took a chance on us and we've been able to keep that thing going for eight years this November. Yeah. So, which is fantastic. It's mm-hmm. a really great show. And so, yes, it's about depression. It's a, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a happy fun time show. It's not, I think so, what's, Sometimes people hear the description and they think, oh, okay, so it's like a downer show and you have to like, no, 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 everyone's still doing comedy, Mm -hmm. uh, except for the monologists aren't necessarily doing comedy. And the monologists are telling stories about their mental health journey Mm -hmm. and how mental health or mental illnesses have affected their life. Right. And sometimes there's a stand up. Once in a while, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes a monologist is being funny, like at the last show, Betsy Ramazzini did like an amazing set that really should honestly be packaged and put mm. online for people to buy. <laughs> it's like worth a cup, giving her a couple of bucks for because it's so funny. I don't know if you've seen a clip of it at all. Aaron was raving about it actually when he was telling me I was getting a recap of the show and he said, maybe we should have saved this for the anniversary show to <laughs> really- actually be... Betsy actually be doing improv with us in the November 13th. So yeah. we have her on the other other half of the side yeah. of the fence. So that was a set where it did not hold 
anything back talking about her mental health, but then also was insanely funny. Mm -hmm. uh, so that happens, and the monologist can go either direction with it. Oh. The improvisers, which you are one of the members of the team, as is girlfriend of the show, Justina, mm -hmm. will then take part to do scenes off of, and that seems like a big challenge, but you all always step up to the challenge well, where it honors the person's serious story and the seriousness of it and what they were going through, but still finds comedy to mind that doesn't reduce what that person's experience was. That's a tough balance to strike. Totally. It's a tightrope act because, you know, with less confident improvisers, the easy move would be to like, oh, let me, let me dunk on this person for their thing to make a, get like a cheap laugh. Ha ha ha, you're crazy. No, that's not, that's not what we're trying to do here. Yeah. When I, because my gig as co-host is, in addition to opening the show with Aaron, is also assembling the guest improvisers. We have our core cast of six or seven, and then we bring in a couple of guests. And I try to get guests of all experience levels and improv backgrounds and general backgrounds, in as is the case, you know, racially, sexually, gender-wise, just because... Mental health is a human being issue. I always say yeah. face of mental health and the face of someone who gets mental health looks like mine. My my I say I'm in therapy, no one bats an eye. But if there's so many different backgrounds who if they tell their family they're in therapy, it's a big problem. So one of my lofty yeah. goals with the show is to move the needle on that a little, you know, 170-seat theater or, you know, back in the pandemic days, Twitch video at a time to say like, hey, everybody deals with this. Everybody needs help sometimes. Your leg hurts, you go to the doctor. You know, uh, you, you, your teeth hurt, you go to the dentist, you know, so it's like, why wouldn't it be a thing for your noggin, you know, the, you know. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's not been normalized fully yet to get therapy. But when I was a teenager, when I was in college, when I was young and absolutely needed to have a counselor to speak to about whatever was going on, the guidance coach, whatever you want to call it, it was not normal to go speak mm -hmm. to somebody. And it was very common. What was normal to hear at that time period is, I don't need to go see a psychiatrist. I'm not crazy. I don't need to go to a therapist. I'm not crazy. And the other normal thing you would hear was that that was some sort of liberal Hollywood thing. Some actors talking about how they have a therapist. And it it was almost like it was elitist. Totally. All those liberal elites in the big cities or, you know, their big frou-frou going to therapy stuff. And we've come a long way, but not near far enough because it really should be normal to go, hey, I'm struggling with this. And that right there is a big step for people now mm -hmm. to just admit that they're struggling with something, to admit that they're going through something. But then to go speak to someone about how they are struggling with that is another big step that a person has to take. And it's all because of how we've looked at it for decades. And, mm -hmm. you know, we've been wrong for decades about <laughs> plenty of things, including this. I think one of the great things about You Are Not Alone is that it does so much work in normalizing, seeking help, getting help, talking about these things at all, and that it it also sort of demystifies it in a way. Like someone might be telling a tough story, but we're also laughing immediately after it. Yeah. In reference to what this monologist just told. And so it sort of defangs a lot of like dealing with depression or anxiety. If you can't talk about something that gives it power. So to take right. the power back, you know, like to, I always like to, you know, be upfront about, you know, my story and stuff like that. And first of all, thank you for what you were, what you uh, shared a few minutes ago. I just think if you can't talk about something, it, it has something on you. So like, no, I'm going to confront him. I'm going to speak it by its name. I'm going to show it that it doesn't lord over dirty little secret. Yeah. And, and yeah. at the same time, like, you know, I, <laughs> I have had the chance to, you are not alone to one of my hometown community theaters. And I, I shared in it and stuff like that. And that was, that was very mobile. We'll talk about that with a lot of my hometown friends who seeing the comedy work I've been doing since I left my, you know, for a while, left my, theater days and a lot of them somebody came and then came to me after the show and they were like that was so brave of you to share thank you so much and that meant a lot but at the same time i was like funny show too right like we had a, we had a good time at the comedy show. and they're like oh yeah 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 cool just just a little check-in because i have yeah. lofty goals for the show it is in a tell uh, our cast before we warm up as intended the, sh the show isn't 
emotional roller coaster of theater. It's up and down. The essays and stuff may bring you down, but then the comedy will bring you up and you know, vice versa uh, at times. It's it's really I really want it to be like a full package entertainment value. We've had people perform songs, which is really cool and opening up that way, bringing in guitar and playing music and and that that's something very special. You know, I always there's like a spiritual sibling to like coming out and like a descendant of a kiss punch poem, which was one of my favorite shows of the magnet back in the day. So like, you know, to follow in the footsteps and to blaze a not slightly adjusted path or trail is really yeah, cool for me. That's beautiful. I just think these things aren't talked about enough. And I think that what you guys are doing with that show is really opening a lot of doors for a lot of people and, you know, gives also the monologists a chance to share. And in some cases it's like the first time they've talked about it, but I've been a monologist on the show. Mm -hmm. And what I talked about was that was the uh, only time in my life that I've talked about that publicly. And Mm -hmm. the times privately when I've talked about it, it didn't have all the details of that story. You know, it was just sort of like, you know, a, a one sentence version of that story. So never never really getting into detail mm-hmm. and so it really as i can say as someone who's experienced it it really gives people a chance to speak for themselves and defang something or get something off their chest that's been there a while and to, to sort of take the power away from something that maybe has troubled them for a while i always tell our our sas you know i'm checking in with them before the show if i get a vibe that they're nervous beyond just normal stage fright jitters you know being on stage like i assure them it's going to feel very cathartic i i ever did with the group before i joined as a member was i shared to say and it just felt incredible to have them embrace you immediately love you immediately and then to inspire really like funny comedy it's just we all get to laugh together and mm-hmm. then go out afterwards if there's you know bar nearby or no going on yeah and also i feel like the people on the show take care of the monologist really mm-hmm. well because i never got a sense from anyone and i didn't get a sense when i was a monologist but i never got a sense from any of the monologists that anyone was going into it thinking oh i'm gonna get made fun of because that's the thing with comedy when someone's going to a stand-up show they'll say like oh i don't want to sit up front they'll make <laughs> fun of me so i'm sure if you just describe you are not alone to people <laughs> the the initial thought might be oh they're making fun of this person who's doing no. a, a story about their depression but i've never seen anyone worry about being made fun of by the comics because you all have done such a great job of yeah taking care of them yes i try to assemble for our in addition to our core cast which you know we all deal with personally with mental the guest improvisers i don't question if they are not leave that to them to tell me on their own but the guest improvisers i try to book are people who display the emotional intelligence enough to know that i'm not here i'm like to pick on somebody sharing with that that that's super important at all times i always say if we could have the funniest show that like people are sleep and cheering for at the end and we could offer like a tv deal or something like that but if one of the doesn't have time the show is a failure yeah the show's an absolute failure if if storytellers aren't taken care of like, I don't care what happens. Someone's a network wants to throw money at us. Uh, you know, it, it, it's not, that's not what it is you know, it's supposed to be. I want all these to walk out of there feeling better than they came in. Um, mm-hmm. well, the audience have a good time too. And I don't want anybody to get hurt. You know, uh, most importantly is the essayists. They're the most important part of it. And they're being really brave for sharing their stuff. You know, they they don't have to. Our society is not always geared to be listening and being sympathetic. So them to do that, take that chance with us. It, it's invaluable gift and i'm forever grateful for all the at this point it's gonna be dozens if not hundreds of people now who shared stories with us eight years Whew. yeah I'm doing this thing once a month <laughs> once a month given pandemics <laughs> right but that's you know that's a good long time to be doing a show like that yeah so congrats to you all. thank you thank yeah, you I inherited, I inherited the show when our uh co-host katie Moorhorse moved back to colorado i took over as and it's a team i ever joined so just to be co-hosting it now was a very big deal for me. Yeah. I knew I had a, wanted to try a couple of things to keep it fresh and to be engaged with, you know, all sorts of people and make sure our show is reflective of how we all go through it once in a while. For you, when did starting to take this sort these sort of matters seriously come into the fold for you? We've sort of alluded to the fact that it's not normalized to talk about these things. So when did it become normal for you? Oh, boy, that question 
as a kid, I did with suppression a bit and got some great help from school and then later outside counseling, which was great. And then um, you know, in college, I kept up with it. Then once I got out into the working world and it became expensive, I slacked on therapy. And I was one of those dumb, dumb actors who use acting as their therapy. And that doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> like, I mean, it, yeah, no, I was like, yeah, Everyone's I fall into uh, that trap. But yeah, <laughs> it does not work. Yeah, I mean, there's I could be cathartic and feeling artistically can feel good, but mm -hmm. you know, cathartic and therapeutic therapy exactly. actually wasn't until late last year that I actually got back on all regular regularly seeing uh, going to therapy. You know, for a first time in a long time, it just is fun. It's financially prohibitive, uh, yeah. not always an option. And maybe I would never like really dove into like my 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 insurance to see how I can make that happen. It, it, it's not any long paid forms and things on a website. When I start reading and reading, I'm like I. I'm confused. I'm cross-eyed. I'm like, what am I doing? Never mind. I'll deal. So right. that was my bad. But I eventually knuckled and I was like, I can't. I can't keep doing this. I can't keep posting horrible things about myself on Facebook at 2.30 in the morning and getting my friends worried. So I was like, it's right. this, this time to knock that nonsense off. So that was later. And I'm sticking with it. And it's great. And it's hard. And yeah, I, I, especially for me being in the mental health, like, I, all right, Lee, I've, I've always been encouraging my friends to get therapy. But I think there was part of me that like the bad part where I was like, oh, what if you get better? Then, you know, you know like I do that. You know, you 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 suck. So don't get better. So now I'm like, no, no, I'm I'm all right. I can get better as a person and on myself. So that's that's where now. Oh, but, so yeah, you, I've always been just just to understand what you mean. When you were telling that the, the negative self-talk was saying yeah. you can't get better. Was it this the way an artist? can sometimes say no you gotta for the art you've got to stay down or was the negative self-talk saying you weren't going to be capable of getting better? it was a little a little bit of art you know they always say like, how can people make an artist like which is not true a little right. that little bit of what you said about you can't get better but also me myself i don't deserve to get better my biggest vice like i barely drink i don't even my biggest vice is self-sabotage mm. when i feel things are going too good uh, relationships, uh, shows that I'm working on, jobs. I, I feel that part of my brain go, yeah, you should you should burn this down. I want you to lose your, lose your shit and burn this thing down. And I'm working on that. And it's a, uh, cause I don't, don't want to be that guy anymore. Uh, yeah. It, it's, yeah, it sucks. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah I like was... Learning, learning you deserve to be happy is like so important. For, and I think it's important for everyone. Sure, a monster, uh, but I'm not a monster. That is really, you touched on something there that's actually really important about realizing that you do deserve better. Yeah. Because that's, there's so many people who stay in a bad situation and outsiders will look in and say like, why? I saw a news report once about a woman who was in an abusive relationship, an abusive mm -hmm. marriage. And the interviewer asked them why they stayed in the relationship. Because an outsider would say like, oh, that sounds bad. Why did you stay? And the subject said, I didn't know it could be better. Yeah. Oh. And, and and that I deserved any better. I thought this is what I deserved. I didn't mm. know it could be better than this. And that is a lot of people in a lot of different kinds of situations, no. not knowing that things can be better, but also that they deserve that better. And it's when that clicks that things can really look up for people when they yeah. can... And and uh, sometimes they might hit rock bottom before they get there, which is unfortunate. But you know when or, or have a few embarrassments mm -hmm. uh, before they say, "Oh, okay, maybe I need to not do this anymore." Yeah. But it is that moment of no, no, no. Not only can you do better, but you deserve better. Absolutely, is a real necessary part of it. And just so people who are listening know, you do deserve better than bad things. Yeah. And you have people that care about you than you think you do. And people who just want to do what no benefit to them. And they just want to see you thrive. And I'm one of them. Listener. Yeah. Even if we never met listener. We got into the D stuff right away and I love it. I do too, yeah. <laughs> um, and one thing that struck me is you said when you were, it was when you were young that you were able to get some help with depression. Well, that wasn't entire. that wasn't entirely to me. I confided things in a friend and they very wisely and gratefully and I, now at the time I was not they they told the school okay. that I was feeling this way and so I was nudged into counseling for <laughs> my for, for my betterment and you know mm -hmm. 
so that is that person was a life send, but mm -hmm. it's great that the school had something in place to help. Where are you from originally? Is it up? It's upstate New York, right? State New York, baby, Rockland County, yeah, uh, which is a little about an hour to the city and then across the Hudson, little like Norsey. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you're currently in Yonkers, yeah, right? So, yeah, good, good on that school in upstate New York, yeah. Having that stuff <laughs> and taking it seriously, because I honestly could see some people in some schools, some administrators saying like, I just need yeah. da, 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 and just like kind of hand waving it. Or they're not, they don't have the resource to do right. anything about it, you know, or they have too many kids and not enough staff, you know, right. uh, that they love to, but there's so much other stuff going on. And I, I'm, when I'm not in a performing arts environment, I'm the most shy and quiet person. I'm getting better with that as I just don't care as much, but especially as a kid, I was never the be disruptive to get a kid. I like, I was like on every school trip, I was so quiet and shy and small that I would just like off and teachers wouldn't notice I was gone for a while. I was just that was invisible. I was just so quiet and stuff like that. So mm. I think it was a shock to the school. Like, Hey, you know, <laughs> Michael said these things or Michael feels this way. But the, I'm grateful to my friend at the time. Boy, was I not happy at the time. But I am yeah. now that he did say something and encourage people to talk about stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Gosh, I, I've heard a few celebrities have to answer the question. Not have to, but they were asked <laughs> the question what they would tell their younger self. Yeah. And it's always like everyone has the same answer of, of like, oh, uh, I would tell them to keep on pushing you know mm -hmm. I'd hear, i did hear one really good i don't know if you listen to death cap for cutie but chris walla the original guitarist had a very good answer to that question in an interview i saw on youtube but i and and his answer made me think oh wow because he said something like well i would hope to catch myself in one of those times where i was doubting things and i would mm. tell him not to i was like holy crap that's a great answer because he's saying, you know, I, I, I'd want to catch him at the difficult time. Yeah. Uh, catch my younger self. And so I, I thought, man, I wish I could go back to my younger self and say, hey, you actually are experiencing anxiety. Yeah. It, it doesn't just have to be an anxiety attack. Like, because that's what I thought. I thought when I heard about anxiety, my brain immediately went to anxiety attacks because that was the only thing I'd ever heard of when it came to anxiety. And I was right. like, well, I'm not experiencing that. So I just went, I went into, I don't know, I went 20 plus years not realizing that I, I have some anxiety mm. that I deal with that's like bottled up. And I, I wish I could have told my younger self like, hey, it's okay that this is where you are. And it's also okay for you to talk to someone like a professional about it and just get that off your chest. Absolutely. It, it'll help. I, I think that's something that, especially in the black community, is just not, there's so much anxiety in the black community. Sure. And no one wants to admit it or talk mm. about it, but that's exactly what it is. And I think a lot of people, there's also, especially when you talk about black men, there's a lot of like what a lot of identity is wrapped up in masculinity, like what, like a false idea of strength and yeah, and being guarded. Macho. Yeah. Right. And so there's really no, I mean, it's only recent years when people, yeah. in the last like few years where I started hearing black people, black men talk about mental health, mm -hmm. you know, like what is the last two years? Ben Simmons brought it up. You know what I mean? Like before that, I never heard anyone talk about, never heard any black men talk about that, especially no. one who's 6'10 and like big and strong, you know, and I would hope that young people today, especially people of color, especially people who are at risk, whether that's at risk when it comes to like criminal justice system or at risk in that they are LGBTQ plus or young women, man, like I can really see a lot of them walking around with anxiety that they don't realize is anxiety or don't realize it needs to be addressed. Oh, that's, that's so grounding uh, to hear that. I know the pandemic hit and I was you know, still doing our Zoom shows. I made a promise because I was thankfully still. Um, so like, you know, I was not going out anywhere. So it's like every time alone has a show for me, I'm going to promote and donate to the Loveland Foundation, which helps black women get there. And, you know, other organizations like that, you know, just so they go, I'm doing a mental comedy show, still working. Then all this like, you know, privilege afforded to me. 
uh, that I get to like make up silly shows. Like I could, I could do something with this, whatever spending cash I might have, you know, do you need, you know, another pair of sneakers <laughs> or can I maybe help some, you know, get some weight off of their, their chest. And I was like, I, I think, I, I think I know what to do. There'll be time. For, the sneakers aren't going anywhere. Yeah. No. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. There was something else you mentioned about how, you know, you made the mistake that everyone, every actor just about has had of thinking it could be therapy. Absolutely. And, it, and I've had that too, because I was reading just some acting books that made me go, oh, wow, if you're closed off emotionally, then you can't really act. So you've got to deal with things. Yeah. And, and it is, there is some catharsis to acting as yeah. well. Did you find yourself, because I get the impression you've been doing creative stuff and, and being in the art world for, since you were quite young. Yep. Were you, did you find yourself pouring all of your anxiety into art as um, a sort of distraction? <laughs> While it's hard for me because um, I primarily do theater and being 5'3 with this goofy face, I do a character acting role, so I don't always get to do that. But one time about, oh, oh my gosh, like so years ago when I was still doing community theater before I dove into Head for Prov, production of Mice and Men, and I was fight choreographing because I've been doing that for years, and their curly quit, and... <laughs> You know, they needed a little guy who can fight. So they're like, you're here. So why don't you just play Curly? And I found playing that role to get to myself that angry where I have to fight Lenny and then feeling so grieved and angry when Lenny murders Curly's wife. Spoilers for Of Mice and Men. That even just like physically, like the, like when I, when we, when we found uh, my wife's body, so I let out this guttural noise of grief and anger. And I'm going to, like, I'm going to, I'm going to get, you know, like, I was like, I want him found. And just like to let out that. And it's like, oh, that felt great. So like physically let that go. And I felt a catharsis and, and a weight lift off my fingers. But that's not there. You know, as I, I was trying to myself, I was like, it feels good. It feels good to let that stuff out. So the arts lets us do, but not the same thing. And I like, it took me like to, to smarten up and understand the difference between therapeutic and therapy. They're totally exactly. different, different yeah. things. They share many of the same letters, but it's not, <laughs> yeah. it's not one to say. Yeah. <laughs> it is good to have therapeutic things yeah. in your life, but it's still not somebody mm -hmm. helping you deal with things. It's sort yeah. of like, I guess a lot of people talk about when it comes to mental health things, they talk about like, oh, it's boiling over. Or mm -hmm. it's like, oh, the cork's about to pop because it was. But you kind of also have to think like, what is getting poured into the glass? Yeah. Like, yes, pouring some bad stuff out of the glass is good. And that's the therapeutic thing, right? That is the cathartic thing. I'm pouring this out of the glass. I'm pouring this junk that's in this glass out of the glass. Boy, that felt great. But what are you filling that glass back up with? Because yeah. if it's more of the same, then you need to figure out how to pour something better in that glass. Yeah. And not to mention dipping into this metaphor but the stuff you pour, what are you pouring it into what are you pouring it on where is it going yeah. are you are you are you accidentally transferring some of the anger and anxiety onto the people you care about you right. know you know and always being vigilant of that yeah I'm just, for me i approach especially the past couple of years i was trying to approach from an angle of gratitude you know i i think about how uh welcoming not only have individual theaters been to me but how like welcoming the art form the theatrical art had been to me and i'm just like impressed i'm like they took this kid with all this anxiety to all this uh all these issues and they still welcome him back and there was you know sometimes even happy to see him i was like that's that's cool as hell you know and like that's you know it's really but i always like try to i harp on you know if i do theater i'm like i love community and for me it's all about you know community like-minded people and bonding and meeting them and stuff like that the coolest thing it's the cool thing in the world yeah for me yeah yeah finding your people so what are all the different you mentioned there's there's acting and there's mm -hmm. fight choreography in there so what what are all the different things you're getting engaged with i know you also love music and, mm -hmm. and have done musical improv yeah how how much are you doing with music are you are you do you play any instruments no i don't, I don't play much of anything maybe a little like i could probably with time figure my way around a drum because I played a lot of rock band back in the day. So I have some <laughs> drummer yeah. instincts in me. Like once in a while, my friends will catch you like, what are you, what are you doing? I'm like, but no, not a whole lot of instruments. <laughs> I did learn to play accordion for a play one time, but that's probably all left my because that's been years. Right. But yeah, I've been acting since I was a kid. Started doing it in junior high, last year into high school. And then eventually started taking lessons because I just wanted to 
get better parts in shows than I would. I do okay in the fall drama, but the spring musical had nothing for me because I couldn't say, you know how. I lit, look, I, so in high school, I was dating this woman. It was uh, like my junior year. And I was like, hey, what do you want to do this weekend? And she was like, oh, well, I can't do anything Saturday. I have a voice lesson. And I was like, okay, if you don't want to date anymore, you can just say that. We can break this whole thing off. You know, you don't have to lie to me. She goes, what are you talking about? I was like, voice, I hear you. You can talk. <laughs> like, do you don't have to? And she's like, no, a voice lesson is a singing lesson. And I was like, singing lesson like i didn't know that it was something you actually like i, I understood piano lessons were a thing but yeah. i didn't understand that people actually learned a thing i thought you could do it or you couldn't do it yeah like, oh, yeah that's people, very common actually there's technique and it, uh, oh i had no no idea <laughs> so then i started doing that and that and that was very very fun and in, intense work i'm still you know i'm still sliding lessons i've been taking lessons in years and years but kind of by doing a lot of musicals for years and years. But that's, that's my singing lessons, by doing it the school of the street. <laughs> so I'm sure technique and stuff is all over the place, but I'm having fun. And then, yeah. Having fun, that's the point, right? Mm -hmm. And you also love wrestling, I know. I do love wrestling. I only got back into wrestling a couple of years ago. I watched as, I watched as a kid yeah. because being the smallest boy in class, kids would try wrestling moves on me. And it was uh, never like a bullying thing. Cause if I said, guys, my stomach's weird. Hey, I don't feel like it. They would stop, but like, they would like talk me through like, okay, put your, like, I'm going to give you a choke slam, put your hand on my wrist and put your other hand on my shoulder so we can jump up there and tilt your head forward so you don't bump your head on the ground. So like, it was never like a bully situation. It was like a oh, tiny boy uh -huh. practice moves on. Cause we can't do got a tiny woman. So, but then one time that led to other things it was like, oh, okay. And then now we can pick them up and do all sorts of stuff. Cause I was so small and they would play this game called Serpy Ball, where they would play uh -huh. catch with me. <laughs> like they were just like, yeah, throw me to each other. And then one time in gym, like a, it was like a break period in gym or something, or it was indoor recess, something like that. Some kids, the two kids, like like it when you're hiking, it's hard to demonstrate on a podcast. If you're hiking, someone sprains their ankle. Two people can make a seat for that person, like by locking their wrists together to make like a square your wrists and one of the other person's wrists, and they kind of like sit in a box that gets made. So they would do this thing, but then they would launch me up. And then I did it a couple times and I would like, you know, fall a little high up in the air and then land. And it was fun. Uh -huh. One time I landed like directly on my coccyx bone, my butt bone. Uh -huh. And I was like seeing stars. Like I, I, like the, I remember the nurse just running into the wheelchair and, and I was in the nurse's office with an ice pack down my pants. And of course a wow. bunch of the girls came in yeah. to see how I was doing. And I was like, don't, don't look at me like this. So then I was like, okay, what is this? What is this wrestling thing? Like, <laughs> what is it? Let me just see whatever what the fuss is about. And this was like the late nineties because I'm, I'm old. And I was like, okay, wrestling was crazy. Yeah, and then I just, it was The Rock and Dog, Mankind and... Uh, DX and Stone Cold, right, and, Stone Cold. And so I watched for a little, dipped out of it until like four or five years ago. Because I do stage combat and I love to tell mm -hmm. stories through, but not the dumb stories of the late nine dumb and sometimes homophobic and questionably racist right. stories of some of those era. So to see the quality of the... The ring work in the black and gold NXT era and New Japan Pro Wrestling. I was like, oh, there's amazing work being being done. I just Truly, hadn't tuned yeah, into honestly, it because I thought it was yeah. stupid for years and years. For sure, um, yeah. No, I had a, yeah. an acting teacher in college who said that he was showing us just some basic stage combat, and he said mm -hmm. some of the best stage combat work is happening in pro wrestling. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, like for a good chunk of the country, wrestling is there. Yeah, wrestling theater for a good country, and it's not only just in America, but it's huge in Japan, huge in Mexico, mm -hmm. huge in Europe. Have their own wrestling scene. Pakistan has a growing improv, improv <laughs> wrestling scene. They probably have improv in Pakistan too. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's huge all over. It's just and it's theater in the round, and it's you know mm -hmm. big big stakes and drama, and you know, yeah, and there's so many fun, weird like this, like at this this promotion in Brooklyn kind of battle where the people wrestlers dress big like monster costumes and they put a little ring that they destroy a kaiju big battle that's in brooklyn i think there's a drag queen wrestling association which sounds crazy to wrestle in heels i ask their ankles so much and wrestling wrestling's for everybody the same way theaters for every for sure mm -hmm. yeah no i i watched wrestling when i was little also older so that was that originally was wwf and mm -hmm. hulk hogan and then um, really got into it when WCW came along, and they're you know you had Sting and all of them, not Sting and the Police, but no, no, Sting the, the wrestler, Sting. who who by the way still wrestling and is doing great. Yeah, 
Yeah. He's still going. He's in his 60s, at yeah. least. I don't I, I guess if your nickname is Sting, you're just in really great shape because Sting the singer also in really great shape I, is like pushing 70, I think. I have no those two stings have ever met at any Hollywood party thing. Like surely, surely they had to have met surely at least at once. At some point they've yeah. interacted with each other, showed each other some sort of stretching tip or something. <laughs> it had to have happened. I want it to have, want to be in a universe, if we have to have all the bad things we have in this universe, at least let the Stings show each other a yoga pose. Yeah. <laughs> let, let us have that universe. I, yeah, so I, I didn't really get into it again until uh, college mm -hmm. when uh, The Rock was in there. And I haven't paid attention recently, but I know that AEW is a thing, and that's the one you and Aaron are all about, right? Yeah, yeah, for the breath of fresh air. New new kid on the block has something to prove. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I've gone and, to three of their three of their live shows. Yeah, and one of those. So you and Aaron were involved with a taping somehow, right? Like, was it well, for his birthday or your birthday? Well, Aaron did promotion because one of their State Farm insurance, and Aaron won a fan contest, so he got to be in a little promo for State Farm, but AEW where he did wrestling one day course with some AEW wrestlers, John Silver and Alex Reynolds. And then he got to, then he was, you know, filmed watching AEW and they actually used one of the moves that he came up with. Yeah. And I was yeah. supposed to come in and help, uh, like I'm going to be like an extra in his thing and watch uh, the show with him. But pandemic doing was doing, this was a year and a half ago. Before, I think it was even before it came out. So I was, like, I was like, I don't know if I should be going to Europe for, you know, how right. long it take to with a crew. Um, so I did, I gave an interview with one of their producers breaking an NDA by saying this because it already happened probably. So, I think yeah, I gave an interview with one of their producers how it, like, uh, how much Aaron loves the product and how enthusiastic and a goofball is. And I was like, you'll you'll have a good Aaron, you'll have a good time with Aaron on on your in your commercial. So yeah, so I got to interview a producer and signed an NDA. It was fun. I'm sure I'm not going to be able for saying that now. I'm, uh, yeah, I think it's out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'll, I mean, they'll yeah. be in the tag, so maybe they'll, maybe yeah. their lawyers will find out. About maybe, it I guess. But Sorry. I, I um, hope they're listening and that they got something from the mental health part yeah. that you're talking about. So we ended up shooting a bunch of stuff for Aaron. Aaron wanted to shoot stuff for his like journey to the journey into the training program. Got some B-roll and he, he asked me to like come to the city with him uh, and he had this like Shakespearean frilly outfit. He's like, oh, just a Shakespearean monologue about whatever I tell you and I'll just film it for B-roll. Oh, okay. And that was easy. I do that stuff all day. <laughs> so, and then like I, I helped him film like this wrestling training dummy because he filmed an ongoing storyline dummy that they used as a B-roll in that little ended commercial for state farm i'm sure if i say state farm enough time i won't get mad about the nda thing <laughs> yeah they're getting more publicity yeah. here they uh, made aaron's dream come true being part of aw programming and the wrestler taz from east who does commentary for you shouting out the name of a movie aaron made up so he shouted it out so yeah that was fun <laughs> that was dreams cool. come true yes absolutely <laughs> so you are working on a play right now mm -hmm. tell us about it boy um so i'm in a production of Ragtime out of Jersey. It's my first musical in eight years. I've pulled one act play here and there. Um, after doing community theater for 10 years straight, when I started doing improv, I was like, I got to approach this head on. I didn't do any of the projects. Cause plays and especially musicals are very time consuming. So I didn't want to jump into a musical and inflict my comedy schedule on any director just trying to make it happen. Because, you know, it's a comedy, especially before the pandemic, we're getting hey, you want to do a show tonight in the basement of a bar? And I'm like, I do. So be like, hey, director, can I like duck out of rehearsal tonight? I can do this show in a bar basement, which I, you know, really, really, really want to do and duck out on this rehearsal you had planned. Cool, thanks, bye. It's not fair to them because then I, I also know it's not fair to them. I know I would subconsciously, if not overtly, resent the show I was working on because it's a keeping me from doing the thing I want to do. So I didn't want to do that to any director, do that myself. So I like, I really just quit theater cold turkey for a couple of years and then you know this play came along and it just worked out with the schedule what it threaded a needle I, it helps that i've done the role before i'm playing harry houdini and oh. it's a lot it's a lot of fun so i and i for, uh, i hear houdini about eight yeah like six like seven seven and a half years ago out in westchester and i already owned the straight jacket from that product i bought one for it thinking okay. the theater would reimburse me. And they're like, oh, now you have one. And I was like, cool. <laughs> so then I've rented it out to and shows and I've almost made my money back on it. So the chance to like actually like 
use it again is great because it's like it looks like an old timey one that Houdini would get out of. I bought it from a magic store. There used to be, I don't know if there still is a magic store right by, actually right by Madison Square Garden. There's that one Spars Pizza and there's like, yeah. The- so but- I've seen that place and, and was in there years ago, mm-hmm. right, you know, a couple years before the pandemic. And I don't know if it's still there. I don't know I either. So. It was, big. I hope so too. Yeah, people there, people there are very nice. And they actually have a Houdini wing of like big oh, wow. section of the store, which is original tools and artifacts and objects and like loops of him, of his escapes and playing. When I was playing the role like seven and a half years ago, I took, went down there to myself in, in the character, actually, because I was that store from another magic shop I went to, like speak speaker rehearsals. I finish up work. I don't have enough time to go home. So I'm like, Let me just, I have enough time to like cruise about find a place to eat. So I stopped by one of the little river towns in Westchester, which is a group of towns right along the Hudson River, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I go into this, I park, let me get a slice, not like, too much before shows, a slice pizza and then I'll go. And I find a magic shop and it has to open. I was like, well, I have to, I'm playing Houdini. <laughs> I'm, I just see a magic shop. I'm talking with the owner for a while and a full back view of like the famous Houdini and changed over like on his back and gave me his card his wallet shot fire because of course he did it did because he's a magician and then he put me in touch with this other magic store because they didn't his shop didn't really like couldn't really get like a straight jacket stuff like that i think i bought like some stuff like that from him and then went to the other magic shop and immersed myself for like doing especially playing someone who's already existed rather than a character see what this guy was like and just take it all in and then they had a and i was like yeah let's go let's, let's get the straight jacket and then i had you know to learn how to get out of it and in our production, I get out of it in 16 measures of music, most of which I'm singing. Uh-huh. So I, while singing, I'm doing a straitjacket escape on stage. And uh, it's really fun to do because it's some days the jacket doesn't play nicely. It comes down to the one. I'm like, oh, I'm going to I have to hurl this thing into the wings at this certain point in the music. So to challenge myself you know, while still doing all the vocal technique stuff, acting and singing, make sure and being very presentational because, you know, our Houdini is a very big. And especially in the number mm-hmm. that I do it in. Also, like, because Houdini, like, Houdini was an like, amazing sleight of heart hand when he did, like, his card tricks before he got into escapism. He was an escapatory, rather. He was the king of cards. So he had a whole card act he did sleight of hands on. But to get out of chains or handcuffs, he showed you his work. He was thrashing. He was writhing, blood, sweat, and tears. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I, I have to do it. Honestly, I can't be, like, the cool. I was like, you know, I have to thrash about, you know, contort my body a little bit to get this play along but to do that while singing isn't always the thing because you know, the vocal fire <laughs> some diaphragm support breath control and all this stuff it, it's it's fun and every day i'm like is this coming out in a time one way to like <laughs> i just show on sunday and one part got hooked between my leg like, one of the straps got hooked between my legs and it's uh, that i was like that's never happened in all the times i've done this <laughs> first thing so trying to dip my leg back out of a thing but a lot of fun <laughs> to do and it's yeah I, anytime i can learn a skill or like something for, for a show because i that impacts the character so much. Like I said, I played accordion one time, so I had to get accordion lessons. And I was like, that kind of affects the character's like tempo. That affects who they are, what they do. When I played Curse of Men, when I was just choreographing it, but I like worked with boxing coaches to like make sure I had my form and technique stuff right. You know, I was going to give that to the actor then playing Curly, but then he quit. I don't know where he went or who he was, but I'm sure he was great. So then I was like, oh, give this new, you know, now I have this stance and stuff for me. So it's like, because that affects if you're a boxer that affects the way you you walk yeah. and the way you carry yourself in a room yeah. and i was like oh okay so and he's and that's that's like the most fun one of the most fun parts of it is like the research it's like i'll get research I just in my room learning learn morse code for production panic one time i didn't have to i was you know direct to say oh you could do learn i was like yeah i can learn it so i like learned like the guy who did the little telegraph machine on the boat and i was like cool i get to learn morse code amazing i get to like because that affects your tempo who you have to listen like tap 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 fast so that it maybe affects general vibe as a person right, so right a lot of fun that sounds like a lot of mm-hmm. fun and you there's one more weekend of shows one more weekend we are unfortunately sold out as far as i know which feels great yeah. theater's 90th season first show of their season you know they obviously like every theater they had to close down during the pandemic and they're trying to make so to have back all these like five weekends of darn near every time has been incredible um you know i was like if these theaters can survive covid they can survive darn near anything with the right support from their community and it's a theater I never worked with before. And now because I've worked with them, they know me. I'm actually choreographing two plays for them this season. Actually, tonight I'm going to work on, they're doing a production of Clue. And I'm going to help people with some stunts. That's later tonight. And then it will be the play that goes wrong that I'm working on. So that, so it's just building relationships and friendships. And, you know, even 
even when I was doing the fact that I could still like help with stages, stage full lights and stuff tethered to my community theater roots. So that was a nice way to like now completely vanish all the face of the earth. Like, you know, like I could have, if I didn't have another way in schedule. So that feels yeah. great. Rewarding. That's awesome, man. Uh, well, I'm happy for you. I'm glad yeah. you got so much coming up. Yep. Well, Feels good. Yeah. Well, we have reached the end of the episode. It's time to create something together. Oh, boy. And uh, one idea I had, if you have another idea, we can roll with that. But because, you know, we were talking about you are not alone in the mm-hmm. tight balance it is to generate comedy from something that's sad. I was wondering how we could demonstrate how to do that for the audience. Maybe there's some comedians who want to do a show similar to you or not alone, or they want to take a story from their life. That's kind of sad, but they want to use it in a sketch or a stand-up mm. set or something. So what sort of, I guess the idea there would be tips for generating comedy while also not being reductive to, yeah. <laughs> to the seriousness of the, the, the sad stuff. For the I know one stuff. thing that I always do when, well, not always, I, one of my, not cheats, but one of my go back, go back move with you're not alone. Sometimes even like look at a turn of phrase say this might've done and like really kind of break that down, like to try to transform it. That's something I do to that way. It's still, you know, it shows that you're, you know, it shows that I was listening. And then just like, even sometimes the way someone like, before they start their essay, like when they're like, do their papers, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm on the subway today. I might start someone be like being on the subway, bumping into someone and just letting you go from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, just sometimes mm-hmm. even just, use that stuff or the details because that's another distinction about what maybe separates what the show actually is from what people may think it is yeah it's not that you all are recreating the stories that the person said you're you're using it as a jumping off point for an improv scene so you know someone might be telling a story about their dad who is just emotionally cut off or something and yeah. uh, has said some things that are just ridiculous. And so maybe that turn, <laughs> like you mentioned, that turn of phrase yeah. might be even, what they make the joke out of. Even just now, you saying it, a dad who's emotionally cut off, my brain made me think of like, son, which which wire do I, wire the red wire in this bomb? Don't you know this? You got to cut the blue wire. It's always the blue wire. <laughs> like a father and son, like just the way you said father cut off. That's where my brain, <laughs> yeah, 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 the scene yeah. my brain constructed just then. <laughs> right. And and it, it can be that simple. And that that's definitely like a defanged thing that's yeah. not going to jar the person who just got vulnerable on stage. It's it's they're going to I feel like the laughs from the monologists are always cathartic. So that's, I think, what you kind of have to yeah. go for. That's usually when, who I'm trying. Like, that's usually who I'm trying. I obviously want the audience to have a good time. Their money's worth. But when I hear the monologist laugh, I'm like, okay, now now it's a party. Now now yeah. I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on the right foot here. They're, they're the person I want to take care of most in this whole deal. So, yeah, we're, we're, on the, we're on the right track here. And one thing I, I mean, I'm thinking of now, I don't know that I necessarily did this when I mm-hmm. sat in with You Are Not Alone as a, as a player, but... One thing to me that seems like is maybe a good option too is to you can make jokes about the the villain of the story. Right? Oh yeah, like oh yeah, like if the villain of the story is an abusive parent, or if the villain of the story is negative self talk, yeah, you know, that inner voice, you can always rail against that because that feels mm-hmm. like punching up. You yeah, know, yeah. that feels like trying to take down a power that deserves to be taken yeah. down deserves to get shot shot at it you know yeah um, and i remember and, yeah those can be fun scenes embodying a mean inner voice for our show i uh was very fortunate of aaron let me indulge my actually i didn't perform improv our basic experience that i had right before the pandemic hit and i actually created a dance piece based on my depression which we no one's ever I was like you know what i'm gonna do it i'm gonna be the have people do songs it's my time. And literally that idea sat in my head for two years. And then I got to bring it to life with the help of Nicole Pitt, who helped me choreograph and performed it with me. Oh, and so and then seeing the scene that unfolded after, like, this is so fun. I was having such <laughs> time and how I gave them like this little of an idea. They like totally expand and grew it out into something else. It was really to see. And it's something that was refreshing for me because it had been a while since I'd done an essay for the show. And then to see it happen because it's the stuff I tell every essay as to how they're going to feel they could feel if we're doing our job right and then to feel it myself I was like oh yeah, yeah that's not just bs you feed essayists so they won't be nervous it's actually real true i thought that but it's still like okay cool it's nice to see that it does work it does work yeah, yeah that, that was so fun to create odds and 
she she's the best and yeah, there's no goal is the best yeah, yeah. friend of the show friend of yeah. the podcast and that was fun it was just because it, it it is super indulgent i was like this is either gonna be super artsy fartsy and everyone's gonna be like what the heck or it's gonna be something pretty special and pretty neat to i thought it was not special a dancer. and neat i was in Thank the you. audience for that and it was you really were. cool it did it was super cool. It was, uh, yeah, I might, I might, might be doing another one at some point. Maybe not this year because I can't be dancing all the time. It goes maybe sometime next year. I might do another one. I have a couple ideas. Like, it's almost like now it could be like a dance with my demon series where, uh-huh. you know, through dance, tell the story of mental health. I don't know. I know music therapy is real, but I don't know what dance therapy is. But if there is, Nicole could run a school in it. She's that good. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, there it is. Michael, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's so cool to be here. I've been listening to this thing for years before you even moved to New York. I had no idea it was yours. When I finally met you, I was like, wait, the voice of my podcast, that's you. That's you. Oh, <laughs> that's <shoot."> cool. <laughs> yeah. Because when you first, and I know for me, when I first got into comedy, I tried to gobble up every podcast that any teacher of mine had done. So to hear oh. a bunch of like, like Doug Weidick and stuff like that, and I was like, oh, I got other episodes. And I was like, oh. and then when you moved to New York, I was like, what? Oh, wait. Podcast, <laughs> it was totally like it's like running into your dentist on the train where you don't like recognize them out of context. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've seen, honestly. You, I've seen you before. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's yeah. special. That's special check, for check us. out the newsletter if you aren't already a listener. Check out that newsletter. <laughs> well, thank you. Th- see, I don't have to do the work now. Yeah, no, get your feet up. I'll promote. Give, uh, give well, us a good review on all your platforms of choices. See, he's making my job easy for me, and I appreciate that. I also appreciate him coming on. Let's return the favor. Follow Michael on Twitter and Instagram at Bad Case of Serpies. Also, go to the next You Are Not Alone show on Sunday, November 13th at 7.30 p.m. at the Magnet Theater. And also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod, and subscribe to our YouTube channel at There It Is. Follow me on Twitter at Jason Far Jokes and on Instagram at Jason Far Picks. Also uh, subscribe to our comedy lifestyle newsletter and support us if you can. We have a Patreon and a PayPal. Go to thereitispod.com for newsletter and support info. Links to all the things in the bio. Sweethearts, Alex Kornfeld on next week. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 